Hello world and welcome to another episode of The Meaning of What. Today's episode was recorded more than a week ago but with my job and my procrastination means that I've not uploaded the episode until today. However this episode is a very exciting episode. We have for you an interview with Hayley B. Hayley B is a beekeeper and a recent mother and is now starting a family which we talk about in the episode as well as beekeeping and we also talk a lot we also cover a lot of ground in the agricultural issues and information surrounding the environment and attitudes towards sustainable living Haley is very up to date on her knowledge and we have an amazing discussion and I'm very excited that we talk a lot about the Athona community, which is where we met and where we know each other from and is also a huge part of my life. So I'm very excited that you're, you are going to hear a good insight today about the Athona community. So without any further ado, please enjoy this episode with Haley B. And she can be, ah, oh, that's it. One more thing. She can be found on Instagram at Haley and the Bees. That's all one word. I think I said that already. I'm not sure. Please enjoy this episode. Thank you. Haley, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Um, congratulations, first of all, on um, starting a family. Thank you. Thank you. How does it feel to um, to have a um, baby of the coronial generation? Yeah, it's it's been great, actually. I think a lot of people kind of said that, oh, I'm so, so sorry that, you know, this has interrupted you having a baby. But having the kind of space to just be a family of three and bond and get to know each other and do all the things you need to do without having to pass my baby around all these different people at first was great. Um, and it's allowed us to kind of introduce him people slowly although I think probably would have been better for him to see a few more faces that aren't wearing masks yeah that must be strange actually if if um your first your first bit of time on this planet is um everybody wearing masks yeah the majority of people he's seen have definitely been wearing masks I think when we go out and I'm wearing a mask he really doesn't like it I mean I've been carrying him before and he's been trying to pull it off my face crying because he just hates hates seeing my face covered he doesn't understand why he can't see mummy's facial expressions but I guess at that age um social cues and, and communication comes a lot from your your face and your body language yeah I think the eyes can only tell you so much sometimes yeah definitely uh, yeah I um I noticed that a lot at work because I wear a mask and everyone everyone at work has to wear a mask too and um, when I I can never tell if somebody's um, smiling. I mean, I know I can tell a lot from the eyes, but I can never tell if someone's up smiling or not. Or uh, you sometimes see someone you know and you just smile at them, but then you have <laughs> they have no idea that you've just smiled at them, and you have no idea if they just <laughs> smiled or if they just looked away. Yeah, definitely. Especially if uh, you're not big on eye contact or you're you're a bit distracted, it is definitely harder with half the face covered. Yeah, definitely. So, um, 
Hayley, why beekeeping? What um, got you into that in the first place? Um, so I've always kind of been interested in the environment, living naturally, being outdoors, animals, insects, things like that. Um, and I was watching documentary. I watch a lot of documentaries on the environment and kind of got into watching them um, on bees and beekeeping and bees and the planet. And I think I made a passing comment to my partner, Nick, that oh, I'd, love, I'd love to keep bees one day. And I kind of didn't really think much of it. And then for my birthday, he got me booked on a local beginners course to be a beekeeper um, or to learn about beekeeping. So I, I did the beginners course and I was like, oh, this is amazing. I love this. And then I went to they do these like apri days where you get to put on a suit and go and play with the bees, shall I say, go and have a look at them. And I think as soon as I opened up a hive and held a frame of kind of buzzing, angry insects, I was like, yeah, this is this is for me, definitely. I love how people describe when um, the moment they thought, yeah, this is for me. Yeah. Um, some people, they spent like a whole day with a camera and realised photography is for them. And you've just told me, I held a hive full of buzzing, angry insects and said, yeah, this is for me. Yeah, it, it's great. There's, a, there's definitely a moment when they're like, if you've got an uncontrolled hive and they're all buzzing like crazy around your head and you they're all a bit angry and you get a bit twitchy or, you, or they're stinging you and you get a bit ah this hurts no oh, they're crazy but uh yeah it maybe it's the counts as an adrenaline hobby I don't know do they sting you a lot uh generally no um all beekeepers most beekeepers have not as much as you think you don't get stung every time you open a hive normally um, you get stung when you let your guard down or you, you do something silly, like you remove your veil after closing up a hive and you're walking down the path and you've still got a few bees lingering around that are a bit pissy. Or um, you get stung when you're, you know, put your hand to your, fa- to your face and you trap a bee. Or I've, I got stung in the armpit once when a bee flew under my arm, armpit with my suit on and you get stung through your suit. But Oh, wow. Yeah. What's it like getting stung by by the bees? Is it painful or is it more just the shock? I mean, I've been stung by wasps before, um, but I don't know if I've been stung by a honey bee before. Is it? Um, I would say it's it's quite similar to a wasp. Um, the first time I got stung, I'd never actually been stung by a bee before, so I didn't know if I was allergic when I started beekeeping. That was kind of, I guess, maybe added to the the fear factor of it. Um, but the first time I was stung. You definitely know you've been stung and I stung through my suit um, and yeah it, it hurts the, the key thing is to get the when the bee leaves a stinger kind of in your skin it's like barbed at the end and that's what obviously when the bee tries to fly away after stinging you it kind of rips out its abdomen that's why they say bees die after stinging you so the key thing is to get that stinger out because it carries on pulsing venom into your body after oh. after the bee's gone so you get that out as soon as possible and that kind of helps reduce your reaction and, and slow the pain down. Yeah. Is there, there, there's no way you can just sort of wait for it to get its sting out on its own? Or... No. Um, well, I'm going to say no. So the bee generally won't get its sting out on its own. The bee will fly away and the bee will die. Um, there is a kind of now and then you can get stung and the bee might only sting you shallowly and the bee might make it. But, you know, nine times out of ten, the bees, the bees sting is going to get stuck in you because um, because human skin is so thick. The barb gets stuck in you and, yeah, it's, it's going to pump the venom into you. So you want the sting out as soon as possible. Yeah. 
that's um almost a loyal thing really because it's uh, a way of protecting the nest then i suppose it's a sacrifice yeah if, um one of the kind of most incredible things about bees is their selfless kind of colony nature where they're they live as a community and they do everything for the good of the community rather than the good of the individual so yeah a bee will attack you i mean whether or not a bee knows it's it's the end when it stings you i don't know but a, a bee will attack you and there are there will be adult bees within the hive whose role is to defend the hive not just against humans but against other predators or other bees or animals etc yeah yeah i've heard that a lot with uh insects um not just not just bees but like there, there's ants that will do it too um if uh if one ant gets uh, infected with a fungus they can other ants will take it miles away from the nest um and kill it and then kill itself um yeah just to stop that fungus going into the nest yeah it is pretty incredible i think there's definitely a lot we can learn from the uh animal world definitely so is it from a very young age that you was interested in in uh insects in general um no i wouldn't necessarily specifically in insects um I've, I've always been a bit jumpy around spiders so i was never a big fan of spiders and things like that i've always been interested oh, me neither. in animals obviously a spider oh give me the creeps <laughs> um yeah i've always been interested in animals you know i spent a vast amount of time as a kid wanting to be a vet um and you know i played with all the animal hospital toys and animal hospital bedrooms it, it was all about animals for me um but i think it wasn't till i started to look in my kind of late teens early 20s about my place in the world and my own personal thoughts and feelings around becoming this kind of sustainable contributory individual to the planet that i really started to realize the importance of bees and insects and other things and that's where i kind of developed my growing in interests yeah that that's very interesting that um it was it sort of stemmed from you wanting to find your place in in the world and uh being an individual a contributing individual i suppose that also relates to the bees they're all contributing individuals to their own colony yeah definitely um, it's uh it's um it's quite a, a strange thing, actually. I think all of um, the recent generations, like people around our, our age, um, have the have these sort of questions of life in our late teens, early twenties, of like, where do we fit in in this world? I find it quite fascinating that older generations in their late teens or tw early twenties kind of had the questions of like, what am I gonna, who am I gonna marry, and. Uh, our generation our question is what is that what is my place in this world what are what is this world yeah I think I think I guess to a degree maybe everyone goes through that phase um I think it's more prominent to our generation just to really question our place in the world with re regards to the world being something we need to look after because for so long we've not looked after the world and, you know, now we're starting to see the impact of that. And it's our generation going, actually, if, if we don't start looking after the world, there is going to be no world. Um, and I think, you know, like you said, with the older generation, I, I personally tend to find quite a big divide between those that really, really care. Um, and I guess that 
comes from you know people a lot of people we joint know like that and then also people that really don't care and they're you know that that's quite difficult educating them especially when you're trying to maybe push more environmentally conscious ways of living and they're thinking you're talking a load of hippie nonsense yeah that's um hippie nonsense uh is one of them one of them uh it's almost like that old nutshell, you know, yeah. there, there's very much, oh, you're talking hippie nonsense. Um, but I think uh, our generation now, we're all like, okay, let we're all on the same page now. There's very few of our generation that are um, just out for themselves, I, I'd, I'd like to think anyway. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think a lot of it, though, is as well, of the people that maybe we socialise with a similar views to us. I think there's still a lot of people behaving in ways that are not beneficial to the planet or are kind of maybe self, self-driven. self um, But I definitely think it's becoming more fashionable now, not just for people to be, to kind of be more environmentally conscious and sustainably in the way they live, sustainable, sorry, in the way they live, but it's, you know, companies are making it a lot easier for people to make sustainable and environmentally friendly choices which i think helps yeah yeah and um i think um we'd, ha- we'd have to bring up the athona community actually because that's that's who you mean when you say our um, mutual the people we know mutually yeah. um yeah so what made you come to athona um, let's start. Let's start there. Let's start with how you came to Athona and what you thought of it, and why you keep coming back to Athona. Um, so I I started coming to Athona through my partner Nick. Um, he spent a lot of time there as a child and in his teens, and it's, it was very special to him. And Nick and I are very similarly minded in the fact that we both care a great deal about the planet, um, and we both feel that humans are meant to live in communities and that we're all meant to have our place and support each other so I think he was very keen to introduce me down to the community and get me involved so we made our first trip down there and I absolutely loved it you know it was blown away not just by the kind of the, the stunning place and where it is and that the, the chapel and the, the services but also the people that live there who I met um and being around so many people with like-minded views and especially people from all over the world you know it's got a great international especially European um, presence there and that was great because it's always nice to meet and talk to and build friendships with people from other countries because it helps you get a bigger sense of your place in the world in the sense that you're not just the UK we're not secular you know we're all on the same journey I guess. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think Athona has to be one of the best places in England to go to, especially since, like, when I didn't have the... um, Whenever I I didn't have money to travel, staying at Athona was almost like travelling for free, but not in the sense that you travel, but the world comes to you because um, people from all, all over the world literally have come to Athona and I at Athona have learned so much about so much different cultures from all over the world I've met people from from Canada to um, South Korea to mm. all the way to Australia 
all, just about every country in, in Europe and from um, in the Balkans. And we, we just learn so, so much just by being at a phone with, with all these amazing people. Mm, definitely. I think it's as well, it's, it's either for, it's some pe- people find they either love it and it's 100% for them or they absolutely hate it and it's not, not for them. And I think the four people that you find down there are kind of like-minded people and it's nice to be sometimes around people that feel the same way you do you know it's not for a lot of people that maybe feel they you know it's not the kind of place you go to be waited on hand and foot and be entertained you know you you go down there you, you chip in become part of the community you do have your chores you do have your duties you know the food is always fantastic I'll give that you know I love my soup and salad it's the highlight of my day but it's you know it's it's unlike anything else and for me it's I'm not the kind of person that can go on holiday and sit on a beach for a week my brain just goes to mush I hate doing nothing so if we're not kind of traveling and being active Nick and I love being down at Thona and keeping busy that way exactly yeah um I think it's uh um and like you said the like-mindedness I think it's not like we're all got exactly the same mind and we're just having the same conversations over and over again. But what I like is people there with different lifestyles and different opinions um, are literally um, happy to talk, humble enough to change their minds like mm-hmm. myself. And there, there's so much. Um, I think the like-mindedness rests a lot in the simply the communal spirit like like you said they're not just there to to lay on the beach all day every day they are they are there to be a part of the community um and i i think for the people that would come to athona and think this isn't for me i'd like to think that they might find community in other places because i think what athona is also is um a way of setting an example to the rest of the Mm -hmm. world on how ideally we can live together because I think people being out for themselves, people not being communal, people wanting to sit on a beach and be weighted. um, I think... We, we can't really afford to live like that. And um, the, this, this climate of the world we're in right now is um, basically evidence that we can't live like that, basically. What with uh, just the, the ice caps melting and the forests all over the world on fire, forests being cut mm-hmm. down, and now this, this virus, which um, is like, 99% due to um, lack of biodiversity all over the planet. Yeah, no, I think um, it goes back to what you said about the example and, and that we need to set the rest of the world. And obviously I can't click my fingers and the world be perfect and the world be completely sustainable and everything be amazing. And I think sadly, it's not something, no matter how hard I work towards it, I'll ever see in my lifetime, you know, hopefully my child will. But I guess Athona gives you a little, little bit of that, of what it could be like, how the world could be. And that's, 
that's really valuable to me having that that space and you know seeing the work and the passion that people down there have for for the environment and and for the community is is breathtaking and especially seeing the, the volunteers they get obviously get international volunteers come to the community every year at such a young age and such a crucial age at 16 17 and seeing them change and grow into people that maybe start out a little bit self-obsessed a little bit kind of still coming out of their their teen angsty phase and actually going do you know what I'm good at this or I've learned a new skill or I really care about this or I don't like this or you know I've just had to work in a team full of people and none of them speak my language and I've had to communicate in different ways and the growth that you see these people go through is is phenomenal and quite kind of um like breathtaking really and I think if everyone went through that growth and kind of maybe humbled in that way the, the world would be a much better place definitely definitely and one thing I love about people coming to Athona for the first time and not speaking a word of English and um, some people will sit and try and learn their language and try and communicate and they will try to learn English and the best um, the uh I suppose the best, uh, the, the cream of that crop that grows from that is when they return two years later or three years later, they, they come back and they're like, oh, I was a volunteer here. Like, Yeah, seeing them come back is amazing. Ago. Yeah, or finding out that somebody came here four years ago as a volunteer and you never met them that back then, but Athona had such an impact on them that they came back. Yeah, I, I got that moment, I think, two years ago where we were down, I can't remember where we were, down on the beach, I think, and then this face pops up of someone that was a volunteer, I think my second year coming to Athona, and someone we got on really well with them, but seeing them coming back, and it's kind of almost a boy-to-man transition, and hearing what they've been up to, but the fact that they kind of always kept Athona in their hearts, and they'd always gone, I'm going to come back, and, you know, come come. Over, over over from Europe and, and see us and yeah like literally spend money on the plane and 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 it's not an easy journey to get to us though no it's not like you know you, you jump on a train straight from the airport it's a bit of a pilgrimage I think no it's it's a it's a pilgrimage even from from the nearest yeah. train station if the the um if that bus isn't running it's uh it's yeah, a bit of a trek definitely so it's good to see people that they think it's worth their their time coming back but I don't know there's a certain feeling I think you get when you get when you first arrive there after being away for a long time and you're just like oh this is it like I'm home and it's yeah. nice yeah it's this odd little corner of the world sort of tucked away but when you get there it's um you know you kind of if if it's the winter you kind of like the fire is on and there's always mm-hmm. hot tea in the pot and like even even if there's only two people there that there is a fire on and there's tea yeah in the pot. It's, it's 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 okay it's pretty special and I think we're lucky to have it and I definitely think it has helped me grow as a person and kind of on my sustainable journey for sure yeah um I've always I've always thought that you should um you should run a beekeeping week at Athona actually that would be a amazing place to spread the word because um beekeeping is one of them things like what we're talking about right now it's one of them things that's so important and can encourage 
um, local biodiversity a lot. And if, if we can just spread that word. Um, have you ever thought about doing that or have you ever um, I've do? done a wildlife week a couple of years back where I, I think originally I was down to do a, a day on bees and then kind of from talking with, with Nicholas who runs the program down there um, it kind of evolved into doing a week of wildlife themed activities and I'd actually I think because I looked at the, the schedule for the summer and there weren't that many children focused week I tried to make it I guess more child focused um, but yeah, I definitely wouldn't say no to doing more down there with people that are interested in in bees. You know, I guess beekeeping covers the one species of bees, the honeybees, but there's so many different types of bees, you know, and there's so many ways that even if you haven't got the time or, you know, you're not like me and you don't love swarms of angry bees, you know, there's so much you can do to encourage bees in your own garden that you know, I think everyone could do a little bit to help, help bees and, and other insects, other pollinators, you know. I mean, obviously, you know, sound down at Thona, the mosquito is wildly hated and revered, but actually, you know, realistically, mosquitoes are also yeah. pollinators. You know, there's some lilies that can only be pollinated by mosquitoes. So everything has its place in the in the grand cycle of things. And the more kind of biodiverse we can make our gardens, the more water sources, more varied plants and animals and we can introduce, the better our chances of, of helping the planet. Yeah, it is. Um, I've often seen at Athona about around about dusk time when uh, people start slapping their own arms and legs and faces and spraying themselves up or, or coming indoors from the swarm of mosquitoes um and there's there's a um, the pond at athona that i do a lot of work on um and it's a natural pond so it fills up in the winter and in the summer it dries out and uh there's no agricultural runoff and it's really good for encouraging local wildlife but um i sometimes hear a lot of people at athona moan about it because they say that pond it's attracting all of the mosquitoes just just fill it in just just bury it, it it's empty mm. anyway and it's like well it's only empty in the summer and it's hugely beneficial for all the local wildlife around here because yeah there's a huge amount of mosquitoes but um so i think i think education is definitely uh, a huge part that we need to play in in and that's what i love about athona is the four um pillars if you will of athona you 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 know this it's work worship study play and that's what i love about the worship and the work part is like there's a spiritual element but we're not just blindly worshiping like a indoctrinated um religion because we are studying too and we have um lectures and we we think of everything together and we share ideas yeah no 100 percent. i think yeah and it's all those pillars as well it's they're all they all make it what it is it's not one where you're like oh i hate this one in particular oh i can't i've got, I've got to do this i don't like this like all of them bring something you know working you're working with people you're doing things that uh, you know you, you're learning yeah. skills or you're just kind of taking the time to do something mundane but have a really good conversation with someone like you might be peeling potatoes but having the most interesting conversation with someone from the other side of the world you know and obviously worship goes out saying you know, the chapel is is an incredibly special place I, I love it there you know I, I tried to paint it the other day oh 
it, I love that. Chapel. And I just, it looked awful. My painting was terrible, <laughs> but it's just, you know, a lovely place yeah. to be. So, and obviously play, we, you know, we have our fair share of fun down there. So it's, it's good, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that chapel. Um, it's one of like, I would say it's one of my favorite places to be in the whole world. Like, I I um I do a lot of travelling. I've done I've stayed at workaways, um, like miles away from home. And right now I'm I'm up in Liverpool. And sometimes I just like close my eyes and I I just teleport to that chapel because it it's not like um like I said earlier, it's not a hugely religious thing. Like it was built by um, a saint who was a Celtic christian not like a strict mm -hmm. indoctrinated and so I, I don't even consider myself religious um obviously I'm, I'm spiritual but i love to just sort of teleport myself to that chapel where all of the all of the people who have played at athona at, as a child and worshipped at athona as an adult and rested at athona as an old as an elderly citizen um it is like all seeped into the mm -hmm. walls of that chapel um it's just such a, a lovely place to go to it's one of my favorite yeah, places def definitely i think for me it was um I'd, we had a service there one morning and swallows have flown into the chapel and all throughout the service the swallows were just flying backwards and forth inside and then at the end we just all just laid on the floor on the benches and just watched the swallows for ages and it you know it's something i'll never forget and I've had a lot of never forget moments at Thona but that's definitely one of a few that stands out yeah definitely I think I think um I don't know if I, I did that at the same time I think you did that but I've definitely been to a chapel service I think you might have been the there swallows. when we were because there's only been a few weeks you've, you're always down there so there's only been a few weeks I've done that you've not been there and I think I think it might I think it might have been after a <laughs> Hannah service actually when she played guitar I'm trying to remember I think it might be back oh, then, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, there was a, I say it's, it's pretty sorry. special. Definitely. There was a two year period when I wasn't at Athona. Um, but I, I remember like after that two years going back, it was almost like I was there mm. like yesterday. Yeah. You know, um, that's what I love about it. It's like, it's not that you go to Athona to unwind. It's almost like, when you leave Athona, you're kind of thinking, right, I'm going to go out back out into the uh, bigger world, do my thing and, I, and then come mm. back. And, and you know, it's almost like my home is Athona and I come go out back. of it too. I think you, you've obviously spent much longer since down there than I have. We've only, I think the most we've done was about 15 days in a row. But other than that, we, we tend to do weeks or weekends when we can. And so I guess for me, I'm always leaving and I ha before I leave, I have to have in my head like, when I'm next coming back, because if I don't, I just it's impossible to get me in the car. <laughs> I have to be like, right, OK. And I think one yeah. year we booked like a load of like a working weekend and a fireworks weekend before we, we could go because we just felt so sad to leave. Yeah, um, I'm actually quite pleased that the last couple of years we haven't done the fireworks weekend um, because um they do the fireworks on the roof yeah. of that solar building but i i think 
um, with with this uh, podcast as my platform, I'm I'm now going to announce that I object to the fireworks being on top of the solar building because that roof is designed to be ah, a okay. habitat roof. And when people go up there, people go, oh, God, there's loads of wasps up on this roof. And it's like, well, they're, they're nesting there. They're trying to keep warm for the winter and you're trampling on their yeah. habitat, on their home. I, I, so... Um, let this be my announcement of the objection of the uh, fireworks. I, I never knew. I never roof. knew it was supposed to be a habit. I know that obviously the solar building's got a lot of kind of ecological benefits to it. Um, but I never knew that about the roof. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, that's how it was designed. It's designed to be a habitat roof. But it's um, it's pebble and stone so that you can walk on it when you need to do yeah. um, work to it like maintenance work because we need we, we want we want it to last um and we want to be able to like get up there and do work on it but uh yeah it's uh and i, I don't object to a firework weekend at athona i just um i just wanted to use this platform right now to make my <laughs> announcement that i object to it being on on that roof because well, there's, uh, there's... there's a lot of insects in that solar building roof that are crucial to uh the well there's i guess there's lots of ways you can talk to the community about that loads of meetings and groups and the committee and stuff i'm sure would would happily talk to you about that i mean personally as long as they don't stop the mold wine on fireworks light i'm happy you know i'm not even that bothered about the fireworks for me it's all about the mold wine (laughs) oh yeah um yeah i do love mold wine especially especially on uh, at Athona when uh, it's because at Athona what I love is there there is a good amount of heating there but you are also exposed to the elements so when it's cold you know it's cold and you get to experience that cold you know it's not like you're you've got the most efficient heating in a in a penthouse somewhere you know you're you are exposed to the elements yeah yeah I mean it's 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 still I think warmer than our Uh, house our house is terribly cold so Going to Athona, where I think we're always a lot warmer, but I think yeah, it's uh, it is, it's it's nice. It's it's good to be there. Yeah, it is an amazing place to be, um, and uh, I, I suppose this this podcast, this episode, is acting as a an advertisement. <laughs> um, so, I, so, I so yeah, we we didn't intentionally sorry. intend to go down this route, did we? No, um, I, d- I w- wanted to mention Athona because that's that's how I know you, and it's how I know a lot of interesting people, and um, it's it's one of the things that has made me the person I am because I'm a, I'm a person who loves to talk and talk and talk and talk about ideas, whether I'm sober or drunk. I I like to talk until five o'clock in the morning about the most crazy ideas, and Athona definitely. Um, definitely made me that person um but i I will add to everyone who hasn't heard of the athona community um it is shut right now due to covid um because otherwise we would literally be the super spreaders of covid um there was a point when they um the community opened um and some people were allowed down and it was all social distancing and temperatures were monitored and everything. 
I don't know how that works out because I I, I did the social distance week down it, there, but... um, and it was really really strict. Yeah, it was fantastic oh. actually. Um, everyone had their own kind of each each family unit. So like me, Nick, and our son had our our own table. We had our own toilet. Um, you know, you, it was very very socially distanced and very kind of. It definitely was probably one of the more socially distanced places I'd been. If you compared it to a supermarket or a doctor surgery or anywhere else, it, it was definitely up there. So I think they did a fantastic job. And obviously we had our temperatures taken every day. So yeah, the, the team there did absolutely phenom- phenomenally, I felt. That's good. Uh, and you met the people that were down there that I stayed with? Because I was there for yeah. the first part of the lockdown. So I, I, was, I knew um stefano and uh maria and blade yeah. and yana who were the international volunteers from all over the world yes we did so yeah you would have met them. yeah we did we had a, had a yeah i would say we were only down there for about a week four or five nights but yeah we met them and it, it was brilliant we had a a good night on the on the the beers or the jerry's goslers so it was good oh Jerry's beer, I, I miss Jerry's. Um, I think he's, he sells it online. The go a bulk order up to Liverpool, yeah. Oh, does he? Yeah, um, that must. Uh, yeah, wow. I'll have to check that out. He'd be a good person to have yeah, on this definitely. podcast I think as he'd well. Be interested in that. Um, yeah, but um, at uh, at Athona though it was very strict um and you met the four international volunteers which i'm very pleased about because i was really one thing that sort of bummed me out was that these international volunteers were so wonderful such wonderful people and they didn't get to meet anyone at a phone apart from five of us that were there um like because there was nine of us in total mm-hmm. or ten i can't remember uh i think that yeah there was ten of us in total so these four only knew us six for their their entire time at Athona, um, but it, it, I'm pleased that for two things, and one that is that they met some members of the Athona community, uh, some more members of the Athona community, and I'm also pleased that you've confirmed that despite um, the rules being very strict, you still had an amazing time there, because that just goes to show that the Athona spirit um, yeah definitely I mean obviously there's so much space down there there's so much to do I think even in a normal week you you can socially distance quite easily if you want to go off by yourself so yeah and I think it was sad I think that the that the volunteers didn't get the normal Athona experience I mean an Athona without BAPS for me during the summer was was crazy but I think they got an intimate Athona experience and it's you know every now and then you go down and there's very few people but you just have such a good time because everyone's so brilliant. I think there was only about four families when I went down. So there was less than 20 people there, but it, it was lovely. You know, it was really nice. That's really good to hear. That yeah. makes me very happy to hear that. Um, I think during that time, that would have been when um, I went to stay at my um, at my girlfriend's place because there was like a sort of, there was a kind of gap in the whole lockdown when it started to get better and just before the second wave. So I managed to jump jump ships, if you will. I managed to get over to Italy. Yeah. I was out there picking fruit. Um, Who you met through Athona? My girlfriend. 
who I met at Athona. Yeah, um, <laughs> I forgot all about that. We yeah, we did. We um, just uh, she was an international volunteer, and uh, yeah, we we basically like lived together for the first um, few months of our relationship. Wow. Yeah, no, that's that's nice. Yeah, I remember you both both back then. I think I remember you both before you got together. And that's, you know, nice to see that you've kind of created this relationship and you, you're doing well together. It's lovely. Yeah. That's what I, um, that's another cool thing about Athona is, um, is you get to know people that don't know each other. Um, and then, so, for instance, Nicholas, mm-hmm. who plays the piano, um, I knew about him all my life and he knew about me all his life and uh they'd say to me like oh do you know nicholas he he's musical as well I'd be like, oh, i don't know who he is oh he was here last <laughs> week oh i wasn't here last week and they'd say the same thing to him on other weeks when he was here about me and then like when we were like about 18 19 we both finally met and we we're like oh this is the person that i got told yeah about that's crazy because i see you and nicholas very much as kind of part of the the athonis furniture most of the times I go down are, are normal kind of touristy peak times and you're both, you know, nine times out of ten, both down there. So, yeah, it's strange for me to think you guys are passing <laughs> like ships. You know, I think when the first time I met you, Sam, I think was the week you cut your dreadlocks off. I was like, oh, who's this, who's this oh, crazy yeah. kid cutting his dreadlocks um, off? And it was you. Yeah, uh, I... um. I remember doing that and uh, I cut my mm-hmm. dreadlocks off in, in the woods, um, like in the little foresty bit just next to Athona. And um, what didn't occur to me at the time is hair doesn't rot, or at least it takes an yeah. extremely long time to rot. So um, <laughs> even even today, if you go into the woods at Athona, you can see what looks like a very mouldy bird's nest on the floor. And if you take oh, a fantastic. Look, they are my dreadlocks. <laughs> becoming part of the ecosystem hopefully not harmful i don't think hair is harmful i i honestly don't know i wouldn't see why not i mean as somebody with with very long hair myself i'm constantly shedding i shed like an afghan hound so i mean my hair is everywhere so i hope it's not harmful to the environment (laughs) no i don't think so because like you you see i think all animals they shed their fur all over it's mainly made of keratin it's, an Afghan it's the ones with the really with long hair, often often kind of light light coloured, really long, sleek looking. Oh, yeah, and um, and then yes, a thin it. long face. That's me basically. And dog, although I think I've been yeah, com- I've been mean. compared to dogs quite a lot. Mainly the dog from Up is normally the uh, similarity that's made to me. Dog. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I have a theory, though, that dogs sort of take on the same looks and personality as their owner. Um, like whenever you see somebody with uh, with a dog, if it's like a, a little poodle, you kind of look at that person and you kind of think, yeah, of course they have a poodle. I, like, What other dog would they have? But if you see somebody with like a, a big bouncy hound, you're like, yeah, that that dog matches the owner. Dogs, Yeah, we've got a, a crazy spaniel called Molly and she definitely just... She's mental and nuts. So yeah, I guess yeah, she probably does doesn't match me a little bit. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had a I had a spaniel who um, died just oh, before I'm sorry Christmas, to hear actually. That. But sadly, but he he was he was fourteen, nearly fourteen years old. So he had a long and oh, really that's, lovely life. That's lovely. That's nice age. Um, but but when you when you say spaniel, I, I always think ah oh, Jasper because that was my spaniel's name. Um, they've got to be my favourite dog because. Um, because I had a King Charlie Spaniel when he died I got the spring so we've got a Spaniel a a mixed breed Spaniel um, and we think she's a mix between a Cavalier and a Cocker so a Cocker type Spaniel but she's definitely got definitely got Cocker and working dog in her because she's constantly bringing dead birds and dead mice over to us but um, yeah we 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 think she's she's supposed to be a a mix between the two but we're not 100% sure Yeah, I um, always love that uh, dogs will always do what their um, nature teaches them. Which, like for instance, um, cocker and Springer spaniels, they they act like hunting dogs because they are like if they if they hear a bang, they will just drop to the floor and look yeah. at you until it's okay to go. Um, and no one no one taught them that. That's that's in in their blood. Um, that's yeah. like I think as well with Molly, there, she's got she's got a prey drive and she does all the things that a prey dog does. Like she she does the prey circle and she has got this massive instinct to go after anything that moves, but she doesn't have the subtlety of a hunting dog. You know, she she's just a big kind of massive ball of calamity and chasing after a bird. The birds get a load of notice that she's coming because she's this big bounding, flailing, noisy thing with tongue flying everywhere, barking her head off. So Fortunately, most things manage to escape her. Yeah, yeah, that's the same with my dog. I think, even though it's a hunting dog by nature, it's it's um, they've not been, unless they've been um, taught to be a hunting dog, they end up just being a family dog. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, which I'm is definitely nice. a family dog. Yeah. I, th- I think a family has to have a dog. I, I don't know if a family counts. As no, a I, I, that's one of the reasons I think I had to have a dog. The house start a dog just didn't feel right to me. I grew up with dogs and I was like, no, we need a, we need a dog. And she's so brilliant with our kid as well. That helps. But yeah. And obviously we can't take dogs down to its owner. So that's, that's the one thing that yeah. I do have to... Luckily, my parents are fantastic and they're, they're brilliant with her. But they, they can't go with us down there. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's a shame. I've, it's it's a shame that you can't have dogs at Athona because I think if Athona had a community dog, that would be such a wonderful thing for all the kids there and and for all the adults too. Like just a, a casual dog that's around, you know, train it not to jump up at people and be respectful. And I'm and starting to describe yourself now. Such a lovely thing to just go and sit down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah a community sam describing me. always there really friendly really helpful happy to see people <laughs> uh, i i, I kind of yeah i do get i get why people can't bring dogs there obviously <laughs> most people that go are dog owners and i think a soda with 50 dogs running around would would be a bit of a nightmare but um i, I do and i love i, I think as well oh, yeah, having a dog and that. going home and seeing molly is the only thing that i, I want to leave for really it's like oh i've got to go home the week's finished oh but i can see molly yeah. so there's always something to look forward to if you're leaving, I guess. Yeah, 
yeah, that that's true. And I didn't think about the fact of fifty people bringing a dog down. That would be really crazy. Um, but maybe we should have a Mathona dog show where where we make a week for the dogs, because um, then anyone with a dog allergy. Yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll let you suggest that one. I don't know. Oh, oh well, I, I, you know, I'd be up for it if we did it. I don't know how it would work. Yeah. Um, so let's get back to the um, the bees, because um, you told me about a um, insecticide that I um, went away and researched. And basically, from what I hear, it's um, it's banned in the EU. Um, and now with Brexit, we're allowed to use this insecticide, but it's harmful to the uh, sort of. So um, is that right? the, the pesticide um, is it, well, the insecticide is a thymethoxam. And this is uh, a pesticide that was banned in the EU in 2018, um, along with two other two other insecticides. Um, and they kind of belong to this class called neonicotinoids, which they work by inhibiting the body's ability to send um, communication between the nervous system. So essentially paralyzing the, the insect that has it applied to it. Now, it was banned by the EU in 2018. And it was banned because of the danger it poses to bees. But it doesn't just affect bees. It's, it's classed as a, a broad spectrum neonicotinoid. So it just takes effect on anything that, that's in its way, not just not just the one thing. Um, so it's, it's quite harmful in general. Okay. It's also classed as a hazard to humans if ingested. Um, that's by the Food and Agricultural Organization from the EU. So it's, it, we should be questioning, is it something we want to put on our food anyway? But it's actually, it's not been released for use because of Brexit. It's been released for use because last year, I think there was about 70% damage to the sugar beet yield because of a virus in the UK. And because of the demand that, no, not COVID, a, a different because virus, sorry, yeah, a different virus, a sugar virus. beet virus. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but it's a virus that we've had for years. It's what we use, oh, okay. this, this chemical to treat. This virus has caused about 70% damage to the yield in production of the sugar beet. Uh, and the problem is obviously supply and demand we can't make enough and the farmers are losing a lot of of product because of this virus so there's been a temporary kind of lapse in allowing the farmers commercial farmers to use this um insecticide purely for sugar beets in 2020 sorry 2021 so by the end of the year they'll then re review it and they talked about potentially this treatment being needed for up to three years now whether after that they want to carry on I mean I'm sure obviously the farmers do want to keep using it now I think one thing we have to be really careful about as well is not jumping on the the Brexit hype and going oh it's because of Brexit and Brexit's killing the bees it's not Brexit it's you know I think even if Brexit hadn't happened the farmers would still have applied to use this broad spectrum neonicotinoid and, and the European Union could have still allowed us to use it Okay. Um, so th this um, 
pesticide, so it's only being used for the sugar beet crop. It right should now. only be used for the sugar um, beet crop. Now, at the moment, it's off the market. It's now being put back on the market for people to, for commercial farmers to use for the sugar beet only. How they're going to monitor and manage to make sure it's not being used on other products, I, I don't know. Okay. And um, this this thing that's uh, was it designed only to um, protect against the the bees, or was it is it basically for farmers to kill all insects? And the, another question that raises it is. Um, with uh, smaller farms, non-commercial, um, organic farms, how are they going about um, trying to um, create a sugar beet yield right now? Or are they basically forgetting that product so, in general? The sugar beet virus actually, and sugar beets themselves, don't really have a lot to do with bees. Um, sugar beets don't flower. As far as I'm aware, I'm pretty sure they don't flower. So when the dimethoxam affects the bees, it actually affects the bees because the application of this neonicotinoid is, is spray. That's the, the primary method of, of application. So when they spray this neonicotinoid on the crops, you, you get drift from the wind that can blow it onto surrounding, into surrounding area, into plants that do flower. Or obviously you get weeds and things that grow up alongside the plants that flower that bees would, would visit. So that's why it's affecting the bees. Um, and it doesn't just affect bees, it's, it's broad spectrum. So it basically right. affects the nervous system of insects in general. Um, I, I don't know which ones, if there's any kind of ones it does or ones it doesn't, but I know bees are affected. And I know lots of other kind of small insects are affected by it. And the application of um, thiamethoxam is, isn't used specifically for bees. It's used for a wide range of, of insects that carry viruses to the plant. Right. So th this pesticide, how do we, um, how is it that we manage to get this pesticide off the market in general, if commercial farmers are allowed to use it? Is there a way we can just say, don't make, don't plant sugar beets for a few years until scientists can get a grip on how we can find another way to, um, get rid of that virus or um is there other things that that we could do to to stop this pesticide being used i know that there's a yeah, petition going i think right now. the, the um, bigger picture and the thing you need to really look at is how sustainable we are as a society sugar beet produces a, a large quantity of our sugar and the demand that we place for sugar in our the, the choices we make in our diets and our nutrition that all goes back to affecting how much we need to produce and the farmers are under pressure to fulfill the demand and all the effort they go into producing all this the sugar beets and then only to get a small yield from it the farmers then go well is it even profitable for me to to bother growing sugar beets should i grow something else that is is kind of uh, gives me a higher yield and a higher return on investment now obviously as farmers do that pushes the price of sugar up so it's all part of the, the bigger picture of sustainability where the demand we're placing on farmers to produce sugar beet the need for sugar beet in the market is what's calling on this desperate 
cry by the farmers to go, we need this pesticide to help us meet the yield requirements. And unfortunately, it all goes back to instant food and not people don't grow things themselves anymore and people don't kind of shop locally or buy food where they know where it's come from and it's it's this mass growing where we ship sugar beets all over the place that's doing the damage and if it's not kind of thymethoxam this year it'll be another thing next year i think the reason this one's gotten particularly popular is because of its connection with bees and the ability to drum up hype around brexit that's why this one's gotten a lot more popular but there's thousands and thousands of pesticides and chemicals you know even glyphosate which is a really common garden center broad spectrum pesticide you can buy for your lawn all of this Im impacts the bees all of this impacts people that eat the food breathe it in you know i mean there's there's a lot of organic research being done um actually around the down the down the road from me at, um the right and of your um garden organic i think it's called now and they do a lot of research into organic farming methods and organic gardening. But, you know, uh, Garden Organic, I believe they're called. What are they called again? Sorry. They've changed their name. They've changed hand. They've just sold their premises okay. to Coventry University. Um, but I did a horticultural course there with them a few years back well, on their site. And a lot of the, the, the principles we had to use for the horticulture were all kind of organic ways of, of managing pests we looked at. So yeah, Garden Organic it is. It's a charity that look, look, looks around about organic growing for a sustainable world. Um, and they're really good. You could join as a member for them and, and they give out, do a really interesting little magazine every, every couple of months. But it, it all links in with sustainability. Okay. You know, there's, there are so many chemicals or so many things that we're doing as a society as a result of a demand for things that we you know, we're just being overindulgent for that that's affecting not just the bees, but all animals, you know, trashing the rainforest. And it, it's, you know, so I think when I kind of as a beekeeper, I've had a lot of questions about about this. And it's, you know, unfortunately, it's just just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Um that's the trouble with a lot of things is that they are just the tip of the iceberg. And uh, I know that um, I know that you uh, yourself are anti-Brexit. So I'm, I believe you when you say that this is not because of Brexit. It is because of um, personal <laughs> choice and the way us humans are living right now. Um, and as a as a a consumer i've read some i've read in more than once before actually that we need to stop acting like a mm -hmm. consumer and act like a citizen um so obviously going to farmers markets um and trying to avoid the supermarkets is also something we need to do and we need to change our diet and our lifestyle um as much as we need to sign petitions and vote because I think that can only really do so much because when there's a demand, there needs to be a supply. Um, we kind of have to think logically mm -hmm. like that with the whole supply and demand. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, mindset. you know, sign your petitions, write to your MP. There's lots of things you can do, but most important thing, it's, it's about A, doing your research and B, looking at where you're getting your information from. 
obviously there's a lot of news news outlets out there that they make their money through clicks on the websites, through ads, through sidebars of clickbait stories where they post things on Facebook that they know people will share that drums up all sorts of anger and excitement, you know, and at the moment, Brexit is a buzzword, bees are a buzzword, coronavirus is a buzzword. And if they could have, if they can use those stories to, to gain money from advertisements, they will. Um, but I think when you're passionate about a cause, you need to not use those methods of, of sensationalization to get your point across. We, and we have to stick to facts, which is why I'm saying it's, it's not Brexit. This, Brexit's done a lot of damage, but this isn't really to blame for Brexit. You know, we, we can blame our, our government for it. We can blame ourselves for it, more importantly. But like you said, I think there's a lot of little things you can do if you care about this and you read this and yeah. you go, oh my God, this is terrible. These, you know, the bees are dying. Then, and I want to do something about it. Then, you know, shop organic. That is the best thing you can do. Or, you know, buy food in season because even, yeah. I mean, some farm shops, they'll sell food that they've grown locally themselves, but then they'll also bring food in from abroad. You know, my local farm shop sells avocado it does not grow avocado, <laughs> you know, unless there's something I'm missing, but I'm pretty sure they do not grow avocado. So, and I'm, I'm not saying don't eat avocado because I'm definitely contributed there. I think Sam and we both like avocado, but. It... Do you think maybe as an organic shop though, they might have a method of getting them avocados from wherever they're grown over to England in a sustainable way and with, in respectful to the local communities um, where the avocados would have been grown or do you think i think they're trying to meet a demand and they're trying to make sure again? that they've got things that people that they that their customers want because if you have if you can go to a farm shop and get everything you'll go if you have to go to a farm shop and then another shop and then another shop and another shop you're less likely to go to the farm shop more likely to head to the supermarket which is why i think they're putting things like avocados on their shelves and most of the food in farm shops isn't going to be organic. Organic's incredibly expensive and you know, a lot of people can't afford it. And I'm not saying everyone needs to go and eat, avocado, uh, eat, <laughs> eat organic. Everyone does need to eat avocados. Um, eat organic. But it's if you buy food and you know it's been grown by your farm shop or by your community or by yourself even, you know where it's been, you know how far it's travelled, you know you know, a, a bit more about it and it's not been stuck on a plane or it's not been treated with pesticides or things to help it ripen or stop it ripening. And it all all makes a small dent and you, you don't have to do everything, you know. It can be really overwhelming when you're trying to live sustainably in a world that's, that's at the moment not made for sustainable living. You, you can get stressed out by, am I recycling properly? Am I buying fast fashion? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? Is my toothpaste damaging the planet? You just got to do little things as and when you can, and 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 kind of spread the word without kind of drumming up hysteria, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, there's a lot of drumming up hysteria, and 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 what I find a lot of people getting into a rut with is like you said stressing themselves out by trying to change everything about their lifestyle um which one could be financially impossible two could also be um a shock to your own system because like one moment you had all your comforts and your luxuries and next moment you're you're allowing yourself 
four grains of rice, half an That egg, sounds like the new uh, and, uh, the new family box from the government, 30 quid. That's what you get, tomato. isn't it? <laughs> four grains of rice and half an oh, egg. Oh, yeah, I've seen, it, yeah. I've seen that food, this morning, Food actually. is a big deal, and I think we're both... Well, I'm, yeah. I will speak for myself. I'm very lucky that I can afford to a own a car to drive to a farm shop, and I have the time and the ability to make a selection on my food, and I can afford to spend a little bit extra to buy food that's as good as I can. And I know some, you know, families can't, especially when you're trying to feed a, a child. We're weaning at the moment, and so only certain foods they eat, and trying to get them organic and make sure they're fed, and make sure you're fed, and all doing that all to a budget it's not easy so yeah it is small changes you know and also reaching out and seeing I know a lot of with with COVID one fantastic thing that's happened is a lot of small businesses have been really innovative and now you know you can pay an extra couple of quid and have a box of veg delivered and when I talk to people and people say oh I can't afford to go to a farm shop and I'm not challenging them saying they can or they can't but I felt that way at first when we were spending a lot more on vegetables and my my partner eats meat. I don't, but, you know, meat from a farm shop. But actually, we weren't spending money. Like when we would go into Tesco's or Aldi, I mean, the middle line in Aldi, I'm I'm an absolute magnet for. I'll come back with a freaking, you know, a a staple gun and a chainsaw and all this stuff I don't need that looks exciting in the middle aisle. And Tesco's, you know, I'll go to the free front section and I'll buy all the cookies and cake and things I just don't need actually it's a lot now it works out cheaper buying at a shop where there's less choice because I I think about meals in a lot simpler way Um, and I'm not buying stuff in packets that I don't need yeah that's um that's one thing I I love about the innovation of companies um I think I saw it on your Instagram. Actually, yeah, the, that's actually the farm, uh, my, our local shop farm shop. It's a Catholic Manor farm shop. And yeah, they've uh, been fantastic. They've got a little refill station. We've also got an uh, eco shop in the town centre. Uh, yeah, well, I say we've, we've, we're quite it? good in rugby. But yeah, Sorry. I mean, Catthorpe, fantastic. Go there. You can get your rice. You can get muesli. You can get chocolate-coated peanuts, I think, all, all sorts. It, it's really, really good. You can also take your own bags and things to when you're picking the produce so you're not using the paper bags or the plastic bags and I think even their plastic yeah yeah they've actively encouraged it even the plastic if you buy like they do fish fillets that they've breaded themselves and things even if you buy that the bags the plastic looking bags they they wrap it in is is, I think it's compostable you put it in your compost bin so I'll uh, give me a year and I'll let you know how that's turned out because I've got a few in there now (laughs) Oh, right. I, I think that's another amazing thing is if people can just do their own compost. Um, like, I always think it's a, it's amazing if you can to have like a garden or an allotment or at least create a section in your flat if that's all you've got to try and do your own compost. I'm guilty uh, of not doing that I, right I could talk now, about actually. compost for ages. I, I love compost. Um, uh, it's another kind of interest of mine. And actually, that, what I mentioned before, the Garden Organic, they have loads of advice on composting and you can become a master composter and they do courses and videos online and you learn about all different types of composts and heat and how to layer it It, oh it's so interesting and how to introduce worms so you can't haven't got the time to keep bees you can keep worms in your compost it's it's brilliant 
Wow. I um, I knew there was a lot to soil, but that's because um, I did a conservation and wildlife course quite some years ago, and I had to write an essay about soil um, and talk all about the the different textures of the soil and, and the pH of it and how it can mm-hmm. be affected by this, that, and the other. Um, and yeah, like that's why that's why um, I think it's important to do something about all the pesticides because I know that that's extremely bad for the soil. And you only have to walk past a field of wheat and see that the soil is dry and grey um, to realise that that's that's not very sustainable um, because it, it takes so much yeah. years for that soil to recover, which is why. Um, if you eat meat, I think it's important to one eat much less meat and to get it from a a local a local farm, um, which I'm guilty of not doing. I, I eat much less meat than I do right now, and when I do have meat, I try and make sure it's um, sustainable. But I think it's important to make yeah. sure it's like grass fed meat and not grain fed, because then at least the grazing of that animal on the soil is like highly nutritious because of the fungus. uh, Yeah. And it it all links back around back to pesticides use. I mean, um, one chemical that obviously I want to mention earlier, glyphosate, which is the broad broad spectrum weed killer. And it's the one you get from your garden center. And it's the one that they often spray on wheat. Um, A lot of the wheat's actually genetically modified to be able to survive glyphosate um and again you people probably know it as roundup or weedol and then the ones it's known of but that stays in the soil for years and years and the scary thing is it's incredibly carcinogenic so it's crazy i think they found they found it in products once they've hit the supermarket so majority of bread contains evidence of it and it's not just kind of sensationalist to say oh it causes cancer it's it's a carcinogen but there is so much evidence of it causing cancer and with you know one in three people catching cancer nowadays you have to think is it because of our lifestyle is it the way we're living is it the chemicals we're pumping into the environment into our food into our air you know and again it just breaks down goes into the soil gets into our water gets into our food background into us kills us through the cancer we break down and is it just going around in circles it's, it's quite frightening if you think about it Yeah, it's like a spiral, um, and it, it's very easy to think right now that it's that this is the end of the world um, when you go down that a route like that, because um, like I, I I do a lot of reposting of the um, yeah the oh, that breaks HS2 my heart Rebellion, that uh, Instagram because yeah. Um, it, it's absolutely horrible what's happening like literally um i mean it's it's as simple as like there there's these people that are cutting down trees that are hundreds of years old and if there's anything to be proud of mm-hmm. for being british it's it's the it's the wildlife that we have in england it's the it's the our forests um, and the green rolling hills nature. and the incredibly diverse um, coastlines we then, have yeah and we're absolutely absolutely just destroying the essence of what makes Britain a fantastically diverse place to live it's it's awful really is yeah it really is awful um yeah and I I, um I think it was just the other day I read that 
one of the trees that was taken down was literally so that some of the contractors that oh, HS2 could park. It wasn't I... actually in the way of where HS2 was going to be. And it was this fat trunk and these protesters managed to fit about 15 people on the trunk. Um, it was like this really fat trunk and it was oh, it was around when Napoleon was around. It's so, it so sad. I, when yeah. Shakespeare was alive. And, uh, and just, just killing it. 10 and, minutes with a you know, and The thing is, the crazy thing is, people get, the public gets so upset yeah. about that, and it, rightly so, but that's happening in, in the rainforests and all over the world all the time. And, you know, I think it's easier to focus your emotions on one small exact thing, like this, this bee-killing pesticide thing. People can go, that is one thing, that is bad, I'm going to say no. But the whole bigger picture, people start to realise that actually it's so complex and they start to realise, well, if I truly care about the rainforest, you know, I need to stop eating meat. And then they then they start to feel guilt and they, they develop cognitive dissonance where they just ignore it and, and turn their head away. But if you lived on the edge of a rainforest and you looked out and saw that every day and then it became bulldozed before your very eyes, you would feel so much strongly. Yeah, yeah, and that's why you know people need to more, be aware of, of of this cognitive dissonance that affects us all. Where we just, and we're all guilty of it, where we just start to close off to things that aren't immediately affecting us. And there is, there's just so much, you know, we can't all worry about everything, but we can all do small things to to make make change. Yeah. There is a there is a huge part to play when it comes to cognitive dissonance. Actually, um, I think I mentioned it on a previous podcast um, about how a scientist will literally, if he dropped toast and it landed butter <laughs> side up, he would go, "Oh, yeah. I must have buttered the wrong side of the toast because it never lands like that." Um, and we are all guilty of doing that. It's in our nature to do that. And I think cognitive mm-hmm. dissonance is something we must be aware of. um but to to lighten lighten things up a little bit Hayley what can what can we do um right now like as if somebody has lost their job due to covid they know covid is due to how humans have been living for years and they have recently lost their furlough money and they don't get enough money from this the council to pay for to to survive um, or at least they just about managed to get by. And we know we need to do something. Yeah. And doing uh, everything at once can stress I think, us out. First of all, if you're in that position, what I think sadly there's so many people that are in that or worse or similar positions. First thing is just take a deep breath because, I mean, it's awful. And it's, you know, you're, you're absolutely right if you want to go to ground and not do anything contributory you know I can understand people that feel that way but there are ways of making this this work for you um you know things like being creative with with fashion rather than buying clothes all the time I mean when when I was pregnant I didn't buy a lot of new clothes I I bought very very little new clothes I bought so much secondhand clothes for my son you know and family member my my mum in particular bought a lot of secondhand clothes and because she knew that that that's what was important to me because babies grow out of clothes so quickly and then you know we we were getting like I got I got two massive bin liners full of clothes from six months to one year for a tenner you know it's crazy 
And that saved me so much money. And by not being proud and not worrying about putting my baby in secondhand clothes, I've got lovely clothes that will last for years. And I've kept some of my favorite bits out, you know, because we want to expand our family in the future. And I can sell on or donate or give away other clothes. And I also, you know, I, I love I love charity shop shopping. And I'm not even going to pretend it's for charity or because of the environment. It's because I've got such a, an unusual taste in what I like to wear. I can't find it on the high street. I love coloured, patterned, crazy clothes. So I tend to buy things from charity shops or on eBay. But that saves me a fortune. You know, I don't spend a lot of money. And I, even my wellies, you know, I bought a pair of wellies 10 years ago and I'm still wearing the same wellies now. So I think shop secondhand for clothes, save money on fashion, learn how to sew, learn how to fix things. You know, you're doing, you'll be doing something great for the environment great because you're not buying clothes that have been made by someone in a in a factory and are not paid an unfair wage and really be creative with how you dress and what you wear you know you don't have to have perfectly fitted clothes all the time your clothes don't have to be completely hole free you know I've got holes and moth holes in some of my clothes and if I want to be fancy I'll sew the hole up or you know if I'm just in lockdown moping about the house so I'll wear the same clothes until it's dirty until it needs to be clean and can I um, just yeah. interrupt you just a moment? You mentioned about moth holes in your clothes. Um, well, I go to Athona, the Athona community as well, and uh, I have lots of moth holes in my clothes. Yeah, and I think uh, we had a, a terrible moth thing. infestation at our old house. Well, not an infestation, but we had a lot of moths. Um, and it's just you know, you get one, you get two, you get three, and they 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 grow. And we got we got rid of them. Obviously, we you know, managed to get them off our clothes, but we're left with holes. So we just, you know, you either throw them away or you, you learn to fix them. And some clothes, tops that I love, clothes that I love, have got tiny holes in them and you can patch them, be really creative with patches, or you can sew them or you can, do you know what? It's a hole. It's free air conditioning. Don't worry about it. Um. Yeah. I've got so many whole um, clothes with holes in them, and yeah, in a I mean, way, people I kind of think, well, people, this is just stylish. I'm just going to rock people it. People will pay hundreds for a top with tiny little holes in it from like um, all all saints. You know, it for me anyway. It really, it really doesn't matter, and because I'm obviously always outdoors, out in the woods, yeah. or in the garden, or I'm clumsy as anything. Even a, a brand new top could quickly get a hole in it with the way I am. So it's not one to, to worry about too much for that. Um, also as well, if, if you want to save money is food. You can, even if taking farm shops, taking all of that out of the equation, if you're going to go to Aldi, you're going to go to Tesco, you're going to buy your food, yellow stickers and discount food that's going off are great ways to help the environment because it would otherwise be thrown away. Um, you know, wonky veg, there's always bags, buy it, be creative. You see, for example, a lettuce there, buy it, chop it up, take it home with some, you know, the carrots that are going out of date, make a big stir fry, box it up, store it in the freezer and grab it when you want to eat. I'm really stingy with food. If I go to the shop and there's, the other day, a load of parsnips and a cabbage for 9p and I bought them all and I came home and I cut them and prepared them into portions that I could then get out the, the freezer when I needed for weaning and for eating meals um snacking as well I mean 
for me, I think a large proportion of my food budget years ago came from buying chocolate and crisps and things in packets that were full of sugar, made with complex factory machining processes and not even good for me. And I was so addicted to chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. And now if I'm buying chocolate, I'll buy a big bar of, of either the Aldi's own chocolate or the cheap chocolate. And I'll have a couple of squares of that. And I say a couple of squares, but I probably mean half a bar. But yeah, I tried to be sensible with it rather than buying a multi-pack, which is full of wrappers. They're not they're not that that cheap if you work it out. All the labels in shops have um cost per 100 gram and they're a great way of saving money but yeah if you, if you try all right and nick i think nick was the one that taught me about that yeah, and it's really I like oh i that. get obsessed by it now i'm like weighing up like this versus this and like oh but um some we've actually saved money this year because we've um we got a bread machine um now we we was looking that we got we got bought one for christmas but you can pick them up secondhand facebook marketplaces ebay or you can make them make bread yourself. You don't need a machine. But I think it works out about 20p a loaf for us to make a loaf of bread. And one loaf every two to three days. Um, I, I um, eat gluten-free oh, wow. and the boys eat normal wheat loaf. So we have, you know, fresh bread. It's a little bit more for gluten-free loaf, but it's not expensive. And it's much nicer. I know what's gone into it. I get the flour from the farm shop. It's it's great. There is There are ways to save money, but I think... It's it's not easy, definitely. And also, obviously, look after the environment. I think I think you often find the two go hand in hand, surprisingly. No. Yeah, that's that's true. And um, like you said, it, it's yeah. it's not easy right now. We've all got it hard at the moment. Um, and uh, I, I kind of want to bring it back to um, so you you uh, have your beekeeping um and you have your family that you've started right now um how are you so we're good um obviously last year was a, a difficult year for us um not only was i pregnant and gave birth during the pandemic but uh, well i gave birth covid positive as well during the pandemic so i i, I ticked all the boxes of what could go wrong um i but I didn't get out to see my bees as much as I'd like last year. Um, wow. Fortunately, I'd kind of anticipated with the impending lockdowns, all the things going on, I'd, I left my bees. I'd, I mean, I'd, I don't tend to take much honey off my bees. Um, I keep bees because I like to just poke around in a box of bees. So I left the bees like I did the year before with all the honey to themselves and they're sorted. And Bees predominantly do. You have to do disease treatment. You so have to do inspections, looking then. for things, keeping an eye out for things. Um and trying to reduce and prevent swarming but generally i mean the bees fly out find their food come in they brood it's not like having a hamster where you have to clean them out every week and do do you know let them out and play with them i my hives always open most beekeepers keep their hives constantly open so you know when there were was lockdown or you know when i went into labor early um it didn't matter too yeah. much that i wasn't able to see my bees um so yeah my bees are good I, i'll they're obviously going through the winter phase at the moment so i've not spent that much time with them over winter i've not spent any time with them over winter i should say so we will see in the spring how they're getting on uh, but they've got years worth of honey stored up so they should be fine um and then uh, yeah and then obviously i think for us That's good, we're 
we we me and my partner we kind of a little bit antisocial anyway you know obviously we talked about all the social aspects of Athona but we also spend a lot of time at home and we're not ones for going out clubbing or partying so life's not been too different for us um Nick's a key worker and he works in food manufacturing oh, yeah. so he's been going to work every day or you know when he needs to and then I've been at home with the little one so yeah it's it's sad I miss my family I miss seeing my wider family and I miss seeing my friends but life's not thankfully been too different different for us other than obviously we'd love to get back down to Athona yeah Uh, and your your little one's healthy despite being yes thankfully he's he's perfectly healthy he um the covid virus yeah so they didn't test him for for covid it's not for any of you that's had a test it's not a nice test it's a swab at the throat and nose so they just worked on the basis that if i've got it chances are he's going to get it um they don't the thankfully the um they don't recommend separating mothers that are covid positive from their babies so I breastfed him as normal um, and there's evidence that breast milk carries antibodies. So yeah. hopefully I gave him antibodies or if he did get corona, he was able to fight it with help of the breast milk or at least get through it. So no, you know, we're, we're nine, eight, eight months down the road now and no, uh, as far as I'm aware, lasting damage, yeah. Yeah, that's good to know. Def- that definitely, I think as well as a, as a mum, it's not just healthy. coronavirus you worry about, but there's so many different viruses out there that are damaging if your baby gets them. You know, like whooping cough is is a bigger risk than coronavirus and mumps and measles and things that actually, by the world slowing down, putting masks on, washing their hands, being cleaner, it actually was better for me selfishly because I knew that my son was going to be less exposed to other viruses because everyone was being cleaner and more careful. So it just, you know, and then once he had his vaccines, as it was a bit of a, a relief. Yeah. Yeah. That's um. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Uh, I I often thought it must be hard for people isolating that are having babies at the moment, but maybe for some people that are having babies, but maybe for a lot of people, it's actually a good time to be. Like if you if you sort of planned it and got things in order, which I imagine you did, and then the virus, mm. um, due to like furlough schemes and th- things like that, I think I think no, I th- perhaps for some parents, I think it's it hard. The hardest thing I, I'm a member of a lot of kind of parenting yeah, communities. Is... The hardest thing for people has been the lack of support after the baby's born. I think a lot of them were worried because uh, when you're in labour, they. I mean, I know it's, it's the same for a lot of hospitals. You can't oh, yeah. have your partner until you're in active labour, which is towards the end of the labour. Now, the first stage of labour can go on for quite a long time. So for a lot of women, if they're in hospital being induced, it's a long time scared without their partner there to support them, which, which isn't nice. Um, but I think the hardest thing for people has been the lack of baby groups and health visitor support and things afterwards. And rightly so, all the attention the NHS has been directed on fighting the virus but I know there's a lot of mums that have found it really hard um again I'm incredibly lucky because I've not just got I've got such an incredible support network not just my family you know my mum's my rock she's, she's fantastic and obviously she's she's had kids and, and really helpful Nick's helpful Nick's brilliant his family are brilliant you know my friends I've got quite a few friends that had babies at a similar sort of time or have had kids so I was looking not to have to worry about 
needing support. I can't remember what I was about to say. No, I had a stream of thought just then, but it can't have been important because it, it left my head. Um, but yeah, um, Hayley, it's been done, amazing, done well. Um, 87 it, it minutes. says, yeah, how long have we been recording uh, for? I don't know if you've got a timer on your end, but it's got a timer on my end. Oh, it does. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it has been an amazing time talking to you. Um, and you've had a lot of interesting things to say. Um, and you've obviously done your research, uh, which um, I'm really grateful for you to be on this podcast because this is one of the many episodes that I want to make to sort of unravel like all of the mysteries of life over time. No, no problem. Thank you for having I'm me on, Sam. I'm grateful for everything you've said on, on here. Yeah, anytime yeah no problem i'll have to have you again uh have you on again um in yeah um yeah definitely in March definitely or april when when you go back to the bees perhaps and then and then uh but yeah it's uh it's been very very good to chat to you i've i've learned uh a whole lot and um for all the listeners out there i'm and myself we can I think what we can take away from this is to change our attitude of um, this whole virus messing up our plan and, and, and think, try and change our attitude and uh, the angle that we're looking at life. Um, and hopefully when this virus is over, when the Athona community opens thank, up. Her, thank you very much, Sam. I appreciate that. We look forward to seeing you guys too. your baby back at Athona. Brilliant. Thanks, Sam. Thank you very much. It's, it's, been a, it's been an absolute pleasure. That is all for today, people. And thank you ever so much for listening. I hope that you subscribe and I hope that you will tune into the next episode. And I hope the next episode won't be too far off in the future. Please find Haley on Instagram at Haley and the Bees, all one word. Also, don't forget to look for me on Instagram at Sam underscore Jermaine and comment and let me know what you thought of this episode. And I hope you have a beautiful day ahead of you or evening or night or morning or whatever else. Namaste.